welcome one and all to TMBC's comic book workshop brought to you by Panel by Panel Magazine and our lovely supporters on Patreon. I'm Jason Hammonds, a writer who also draws. And I'm Ken Heidelman, an artist who also writes. We are both making comics while still learning how to make comics. After digging through libraries, the internet, and fighting the Decepticons for their precious knowledge on making comics, we thought it might be a good idea to share our notes and hopefully help you make your own comics as well. All right, Jason, what is on the agenda today? Oh, Kent, I'm glad you asked. Today, you, my friend, are talking to Amy Chu. Uh, She is the amazing writer of such things as uh, Poison Ivy, Green Hornet, Red Sonja, many other things. Her Poison Ivy miniseries, legitimately, probably my best, or my, my favorite, rather, Poison Ivy story ever. It's so freaking good. I highly recommend uh, you guys all go and check it out. It's called Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death. Um, I really, really enjoyed this series. It actually featured art by uh, Clay and Seth Mann, the brother uh, penciler inker team that would soon go to take over comics alongside Tom King on such series as Batman and uh, Heroes in Crisis. Um, This I, I really I can't express to you uh, how great the both the writing and the art is in Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death. So super excited that Kent got the chance to uh, speak with Amy Chu. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She's a really cool person and really down to earth. And yeah. yeah, I think you're gonna enjoy the interview. She's really cool. Absolutely. Uh, but that's not all we got today, Kent. Because later mm, on in all? the show, it's not. It's not all we've got. Uh, later on in the show, I'm gonna tell you a little story. Uh, we're doing something a little different today. I'm going to tell you a story mm. from, from comic book... I don't know if I like book, different. I, I, different's good. This is a story from comic book history. Uh, this oh, is history. Story, we do history here? A little history lesson. I'm putting on my uh, my, my uh, jacket with patches on the elbows, uh, and I'm Ooh, suspenders nice. underneath, you know, and, and I'm really getting into it with like a one of those hats, you know, the hats that teachers wear. Uh, well, I'm going to be writing I love you on my eyelids and blinking at you a lot throughout oh, this episode. I can't. You just, you know how to charm... Uh, I will be telling you about how Steve Gerber stole Howard the Duck from Marvel Comics. This is a story wrought with uh, all sorts of intrigue about creator rights. And, I mean, Jack Kirby gets involved at one point. A, a lawsuit Whoa, happens. Cameo. Cameo. A, a Marvel cameo in this podcast? I know, right? Jack Kirby makes a cameo in this story. Image Comics makes a cameo in this story. Eric Larson makes a cameo in this story. It's all about Steve Gerber stealing his creation, Howard the Duck, from Marvel Comics. Uh, But before we get to all that intrigue, let's go hear it from Amy Chu. This is Ken Heidelman with TMBC's Comic Book Workshop here in San Diego Comic-Con. I've got Amy Chu here, and we are uh, talking comics. Amy, tell everyone about yourself. Oh, um, I'm a comic book writer. I, I currently write, um, wow, let's see, what am I writing? I'm writing Summit for the Lionforge. I'm writing um, Red Sonia. I'm on issue 18 for Red Sonia. Uh, Green Hornet, uh, Princess of Mars. I, I'm, ri- I'm writing a lot of stuff. That is a huge workload. Uh, how many books a month do you think you've got right now? Average, uh, month oh, to month? No, it's like a, yeah, I'm at four plus uh, graphic novels. So I'm actually at capacity. Oh my God, yeah, a graphic yeah, novel too. Yeah, so, um, that, but that, if you want to make a living doing comics, that's kind of the pace you have to work at. Got to go bulk. 
Uh, so you're, you're, it seems like you're juggling uh, multiple publishers, too. Uh, yes. It's just uh, Dynamite and DC? Uh, DC, I mean, I do a little Marvel work. Basically, anyone, you know, with almost all of us who uh, write and draw, we're freelancers. So, you know, you don't want to turn away any work. And you also don't want to be in a situation where you put all your eggs in one basket with an editor and the editor leaves that particular publisher. So, And then suddenly that contact dries up. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, now, we were talking a little bit before the interview. You said that you'd started writing comics when you were 11? I'm right? sorry, what? Uh, when you were 11? Oh, no, no. No, no, no? Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I mis uh, misunderstood you then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you first start writing comics, whether it was for, for pleasure or for the business side? Yeah, no, that, that's fairly recent. I started writing comics um, in 2000. Oh, I know what you... 2011. Oh, Not when oh, I was okay. 11. I was like... I was and that's like, I was Whoa, shocked. I was like, it's 11? It's possible that I wrote some comics when I was 11, but I don't remember them. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, okay, no, gotcha. no, 2011 is when I first started writing comics. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, how did you uh, break into the field? I what wish was I was 11, but <laughs> no, no. I was... So I'm like, man, this she is accomplished. This girl's no, focused. Oh no, <laughs> my god, that would be cool. Um, yeah, no, I was actually trying to help a friend of mine break into the business, so I was helping her publish, and I just started writing. And <laughs> hang on one second. And trying to help my friend Georgia break in, and I was um, publishing her comics, and um, I just got sucked into it. That's awesome. Uh, when you were, uh, the way you write now, when you're working and collaborating with artists, what kind of style do you write for scripts? Are you more like Marvel style or do you do like full script breakdown? It really depends on the artist too. Some artists uh, are better at certain things. Uh, like the more, the, the more um, veteran artists, I, I'll put in less detail. If it's a newer artist, I tend to put in more detail. So, it, you know, I try to adjust depending on who the artist is. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, when you've got your uh, your script, uh, how much time do you spend on the outline before you go into trying to like polish? Again, it, off? it depends on the script. Like certain things, like Poison Ivy, which is a murder mystery, you really have to work out the ending, and I'll, so the outline becomes super, super duper important. Uh, whereas Deja Thoris, which is really adventure, and there's a lot of action and stuff, um, you know, I, I don't have to do as much on the outline. Because stuff might change too. Same thing with Red Sonia. Things change as we go along. So, uh, but when it's something where there is a there's more intellectual aspect of it, I'll, I'll definitely spend more time on it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, when you're working with a big publisher like DC, and then suddenly events are happening, some sort of like summer event, and do they give you a lot of uh, lead time on that so you can kind of bake it into your script? Again, that's up to the editor and what you're working on. Like, I, I haven't experienced anything because my Poison Ivy run was outside the events. You know, like, I, I asked, and there's like, well, you don't have to worry about it. It seems almost freeing in a bit way. You can just focus it on the It is. You can make life miserable for yourself depending on if you're asking to put certain characters in there because... You know, like I could have asked for Batman. I could have asked for a cameo in Batman, but then now you're asking for a whole world of hurt if you don't know what's going on. And, and they'll likely say no anyway. So, you know, I try to keep it manageable with Catwoman. Um, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a couple of cameos by different, different characters, so. Keep it tight. It sounds like you're very smart and diligent about the way you approach the, the table before you even start to write. Well, you had to be kind of strategic, sure. You know, I mean, that's all, that's the whole business too. Is um, 
uh, you're pitching. You pit, I mean, there's there's uh, it's very competitive. There's a ton of people who want to write comics, so your pitch has to be something that works for the publisher. When uh, a lot of the uh, listeners aren't going to be familiar with uh, the process of working with uh, a bigger publisher, when you're a writer there, a regular writer, what's uh, what's the pitch process like? Uh, do they contact you? You contact them? What's that like at all? Uh, you absolutely, they'll contact you. Um, you can you can pitch, but if you don't have any, first of all, as a writer, it's almost impossible if you have not published in some way to break in. That's like, especially for DC and Marvel, that's like, that's like trying to break in as a uh, baseball player for the major leagues. It's almost impossible. So if you don't have a body of work, you know, you need to basically uh, be self-publishing essentially and then start shopping around with the different, uh, you know, any, any comics publisher really. That makes sense. Uh, for that very first comic, uh, so I assume that it wasn't with DC. What was that first comic that you uh, made? So I self-published a number of comics before. Uh, I, and, and that's really your pitch. You, you basically make sure, because there's really no way for them to know, first of all, how good you are as a writer until they see your actual comic. And also whether you can hit your deadlines. Makes sense. Um, are those uh, original ones still on sale? Oh yeah, yeah. I, well, so I'm 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 working on reissuing them, but yeah, I I, I, I what I did was a number of short stories, um, just to show range, and um, they're yeah they're 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 I, I should get them on Comicsology. <laughs> That's what I should do. Yeah, I have that'd not be done amazing. It. Yeah. What were uh, what are the titles just so people know? Oh, so the for. anthology is called Girls Night Out. So I did three three issues of those. Um, and then I did a few more. And then I start, the way to break in, honestly, for real, like if, if that's the focus for people, is to start getting your work into anthologies. Doing short stories is really how you get people's attention. Because short stories are actually harder to write than full stories. If you can oh. do a good short story, you will get someone's attention very quickly. Wow. Uh, for writers that are first starting out, you recommend the anthology. Do you uh, recommend, where, do you, where did you find your artist? that you did your, your first Well, you with. go to an artist alley at a convention like this. You get to look at people's styles. You look at their sequential art, not their pinup art. There's a lot of great pinup artists. If they haven't done sequentials, you're going to have a problem, especially if you're new in the business. You need to have somebody who actually has some experience doing that kind of um, drawing. And uh, when you did your that first book, was it a kind of a co-creation thing, or did you uh, do uh, artist for hire? Uh, it depends again on the artist. Some artists need to get paid; they they need to get paid, uh, so it's work for hire. Um, some artists are like they they'll, they'll go either way. I give the people a choice basically. You, we either collaborate, or I pay them a page rate, or it's a mixture. So it really depends. Makes sense. Uh, for your current stuff, what's the, the latest and greatest from Amy? Oh, latest and greatest. Um, I personally, I'm really excited about what I did for Green Hornet, and that's wrapping up. So issue five is not out yet. It's out soon. Um, so uh, it's super enjoyable. Uh, I just signed the contract for another season for Lion Forge Summit. And, you know, you, wow. I'm sure you heard Gail Simone's news. So I'll be working with her. So that's awesome. Uh, for those of who... Uh, for those listeners that don't know the news, can you give like a, a rough idea what the oh yes is? yeah so so I uh, it's a superhero universe but they the focus is like on real diversity and um, 
Yeah, and yeah. it's very exciting because it's an expanding universe, but Gail just agreed to come on as like kind of the architect of the universe. Oh, wow. We all have stories going on, but they're kind of like, you know, they're 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 they're, they're these are these are stories that need to come together and Gail is like I don't want to say she's an obvious choice. I think she's a brilliant choice because she's been she's phenomenal in this kind of thinking and she respects all the creators and I mean and she's been so supportive of my career I would not be writing comics if Gail had not looked at one of my scripts very early on and said you know you actually can do this wow that's yeah. amazing she could have easily said well, yeah nice keep trying oh <laughs> right? yeah but glad it worked out how did you two uh, meet or was it just a submission thing? Uh, no, no. Well, what I did was I started um, backing Kickstarters for script reviews. It's oh. really hard to get somebody to look at your script, so that's what I did. I started backing for script reviews, and that's how I started getting feedback from people. Wow. Uh, it sounds like you really attacked it and are very... Um mindful about the way you you do your work well you know i'm not 22 it's like you know like I, if i'm going to do this i'm going to do this so uh well i love the work ethic uh you've got lots of titles that you're working on uh, it sounds like you're quite the success in the business so i'm excited to see even more from you and i can't wait for this gail simone team up to uh, become fully you. realized thank uh, you so much you're welcome uh where can everyone find you online well, I have a website. It's called iWriteComics.com. And I'm also active on social media, like Twitter. It's just my name, Amy Chu. Um, Instagram, uh, you're going to see a lot of food postings, but it's Amy underscore Chu. And my Facebook page is also iWriteComics. Welcome back. Thank you so much again, Amy Chu, for taking the time to talk to us and do an interview. Uh, again, amazing writer, amazing person. Uh, yeah, she was a she was a delight. Yeah, she's wonderful. I hope uh, we can get her back on the show at some point. Uh, make sure you go follow her on Twitter at Amy Chu. That's A M Y C H U. Um, you can also uh, check out her. Uh, website uh or even just like find her her big old like link page she has a page full of tons of links it's about dot me slash amy chu um or you can go to iwritecomics.com that's it's that's all her stuff make sure you go uh follow her support her let her know that you're appreciating her work and in the meantime let's let our sponsors know that we appreciate their work Kent, I feel like you're somebody who is always looking for uh, knowledge on how to make comics or even just, you know, a little bit of insight in how other people make their comics. Is that is that a fair assessment? Uh, not really, but keep going. Well, then screw you, Kent. And I'm just going to talk to the listeners <laughs> now because anybody listening to this show is probably looking for that same thing and they can find it. In the digital pages of Panel by Panel magazine, the Eisner nominated Panel by Panel magazine. Ooh, did we win it? Eisner nominated. That's, you know, it's you neither not here nor it. there. It is neither here nor there, Kent. Everybody's it's a over winner. there and I can see it. It's, it's it's everybody's a winner in some ways. You know, it's all about perspective. Yeah, the person and who won the award. We were nominated for an Eisner in our first year of publication uh, because we're just 
that good. Who's heard Six of the comics in. journal? That's actually pretty cool. Nobody knows what the comics journal is, Kent. That's really the point here. The Eisner winning comics journal? Nope. Uh, I don't think that's who I was talking about. Uh, but I was talking about Panel by Panel magazine, the digital magazine. This is an ad for Panel by Panel magazine. So let's it focus is. on <laughs> uh, Featuring some amazing in-depth interviews with uh, all sorts of creators, such as, you know, Robert Kirkman, uh, uh, Ooh, Shauna and Julie them. Benson. Uh, Ed Pisker, all sorts of people like that uh, are in the back catalogs of Panel by Panel magazine. Uh, you can check it out at panelxpanel.com. Um, recent uh, issues of this magazine have included some insight into books like uh, The Cold War from Hayden Sherman and uh, Chris Sabella, um, as well as um, The New World by uh, Trad Moore and Alicia Cott. Uh, it's, it's just, it's packed with insight from all of the top creators from today. Um, make sure you check it out. Panelxpanel.com. Uh, and you will thank me later for it. Kent, tell me about your damn comic. I think I will be. Oh, my comic? I got a comic. And I'm Kent Heidelman. Scariest in Screamforth is a young YA level book. Uh, It's a comic book that you can read for free at scariestandscreamforth.com. It's about three kid monsters in a monster town trying to solve a dark mystery. And it's spooky cute. Uh, It's very fun. I think pretty much if you read anything, you should be probably reading my comic. (laughs) But uh, you probably (laughs) enjoy it. It's it's free. It's fun. Um, Let me know what you think. Go to scariestandscreamforth.com and uh, check it out. Don't people, you dare mention tell Scooby-Doo, me how much they it's love not it. anything like Scooby-Doo. I swear to God, it's not anything like Scooby-Doo. You're the only, actually, this is the first time anyone's brought up Scooby-Doo with my comic. <laughs> so, I just I like bringing it up because it bugs Kent. It's, it's a great comic, Is this comic, the first though. time, though? Did you, did you, is this the first time you brought no, up No, I brought it up to you once before, and you got prickly. Oh, did I? Yeah. Well, okay. Then let's go back to the prickly. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you, Jason. <laughs> You don't I have to prickly. be prickly because, I mean, hey, Scooby-Doo is one of the most successful I, I gotta of stay, all time. I got to stay consistent. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember I mean, it wasn't on the prickly. show. I think it was just off mic. I do genuinely enjoy Scariest and Screamforth, though. I'm, I've, I've been oh. eagerly anticipating that second I issue for a while, I, and I really love the first that. one. I appreciate that. Thank you very Check much. Check out scariestandscreamforth.com. Awesome. Uh, but, Jason, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Oh, boy. Uh, I hear that you do podcasts uh, about comics. I do. I do podcasts about uh, comics. You can find all my stuff at thatmightbecool.com. The uh, the podcast that I choose to advertise right now, because it's the one running right now outside of this one, it's a Savage Land podcast. It's about comics and movies and TV and all that geek stuff. Sometimes we talk about dinosaurs. Sometimes we talk about animal penises. Sometimes we interview comic book Ooh, creators. What? And sometimes we just talk about trade paperbacks. Don't worry about that second one. Uh, okay. <laughs> and it's just it's just three friends, me, my friend Matt, and my friend Rachel, uh, just kind of hanging out talking about comics. We're divided by the lines of states and local governments, but we are not divided. We're actually united by our love of comics and all things geek. Uh, so so come hang out with us. Go to savagelandpodcast.com and you can uh, hear more. It's the second best comics podcast on the internet. I, I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> second only to the two-headed nerd. Wait, what? This Shit. is our, our theme. Uh, panel by panel is second to Comics Journal. Scariest to Scooforth is second to Scooby-Doo. And Savage Land is second <laughs> to Comic Book Workshop. <laughs> Oh man! Never, always a bridesmaid. Know what I mean, out there, listeners. Uh, speaking of bridesmaids, Kent, tell us about our Patreon. 
Okay. Yeah. Perfect segue. Uh, so if you like the show and you enjoy listening to us talk about comics, uh, the best way, the number one way to support us is by no, going no. to patreon.com backslash TMBC workshop. Hold, nope. Hold on. I will not let that slide. That is not a backslash. This is the number one crusade of my life. It is a forward slash. Anytime you're typing a URL, it is a goddamn uh, forward slash. Uh, uh, I don't give a shit. Oh, I, mm, you've activated me. You've activated my goddamn trigger. Oh. It's a forward Patreon. slash. Patreon.com backslash. Forward slash. TMBC. <laughs> backslash. TMBC workshop. Uh. Com. That's not even it either. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's how dot com works. Dot com slash dot com slash dot com. I don't think that's how the information superhighway takes in uh, uh, universal request logs. I don't mm. know what URL stands for. Um, oh, yes. Uh, but the Patreon is a great way to support us. Uh, we have lots of rewards tiers. There's there's different levels to donate and different rewards that you get. Uh, we do do a shout out to a certain level of our, our patrons uh, on this show. Uh, there's all sorts of things behind the scenes stuff. Uh, we, we try to do a good job on there and it's, there's more than just, uh, just donating to us. Hell yeah. Uh, visit patreon.com slash TMBC workshop to find out more and, uh, and, and throw us some, some little schmeckles if you feel like it. We love schmeckles. Uh, all them schmeckles. But now it's time to get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about Howard the freaking duck and Steve Gerber and, 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 and destroy duck and all that stuff. But I guess that'll still come after our uh, creative catch-up, which will be right after this little music. Alrighty, boy. You girl. I'm transition back. I got a transition. This is a transition. We're already doing it. This is oh. the transition from the ads to the... T- Oh, is this how? Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a yeah. transition. We're transitioning. Professional transition, right here. Mm. Uh, that was some great ads that you just heard. Ah, uh, dude, what weren't they? The best I, ads you've ever heard. I want to marry those ads. You're gonna pay all of those ads great money. I'm terribly, I am terribly petrified by commitment, but I want to marry those ads. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so now it is time for. The second main event on the on this episode, which is us uh, doing a d- little discussion, but this one's a little bit different than our normal fare. This is a little history lesson from our, our friend Jason here. I love hearing Jason talk about the history of comic stuff, and it was a it was it awesome leads- to get this little inside story. <laughs> it always leads to many long, long, long discussions, Kent, uh, and I, I I always enjoy it. But before we get into all that history, let's let's talk about what we've been doing. What's what have we been working ah, on here? Oh, that's right. I've got a little creative catch-up. I'll go first, since you went first last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after San Diego Comic-Con, I went uh, home and started working diligently on more work on my comic. uh, Actual work on my comic. So I did do some outlines. uh, Hold on. on, Stop the presses. (laughs) Extra, extra. Read all about it. Kent spent some time working on his comic rather than doing Google Docs and uh, and and sending emails and talking to people. I do great logistics for my comic oh other my than goodness. working on my comic. It's yes, but stop the presses. I did work on my outline and I did flesh that out. Yep. Uh, that's a parade coming down Main Street for me. I'm at oh. the head of it, uh, twirling my baton. Uh, yeah, I got... Uh, I finished outlining the 
third, maybe even fourth issue. I don't pay attention to issue numbers, uh, but the I, I got some serious work done, and I, yeah. I flushed out some good scenes, um, and I also have been putting together a, a pitch packet in response to San Diego Comic Con so that I can take that issue and send it a condensed version of that issue, maybe like half or quarter of the amount of pages in it, uh, along with like a synopsis, a breakdown on what the overarching arc is going to be for the the first volume. Mm. And I'm going to be sending that out to some publishers. So I'm putting that together and I want it to look all spiffy. So I'm putting some extra work into it. And that's uh, that's me doing other non-comics comic stuff. <laughs> it's, what, it's, what, it's what you do best. <laughs> It, uh, it is what I do best. And <laughs> Actually, it, it turns I, I out would, pretty good. I would argue that you make comics much better than uh, than any of those other things. However, I think it's what you gravitate to the best. Yes, uh, it's true. I do like the 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 background stuff. It's uh, all good. I feel like it's the polish that helps uh, sh- make that comic shine. That's what happens. As long as there's balance, people let let that be a lesson. It's it's you know sometimes you'll spend a lot of time. Uh, uh, working on random tertiary stuff, as I very well know, because I am super guilty of it myself. Uh, but as long as you you strike back with some serious productivity on the comic itself, then it'll all balance out in the end. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So I, I got some I got some good work done. Uh, what yeah. about you? What What is your creative catch-up for this pretend this week? In between. So uh, I actually I've I've been taking a little bit of a break from from Beehive. Um, it's a very raw story that deals a lot with uh, certain things from my own life and and my past and kind of formative years. And so sometimes it can get a little uh, get a little raw, kind of scratching at that nerve. And so I decided to to do some some more lighthearted stuff. Um, so in addition to the comic that I was talking about last week that I finished all those uh, outlines and um, and uh, layout pages for, um, I resurrected a uh, long-dead project that I was uh, working on back when I first moved to L.A. Um, it is... Uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say too much about it, but it's a comic that I'm kind of planning on doing as a, a sort of webcomic type thing, uh, writing and illustrating myself. Um it might end Have you up talked being... to me about this much? I, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about it, actually. This is something that I stopped working on before I ever met you. Um, huh. But it recently kind of came back into my uh, head because I was watching old episodes of Star Trek, the original series. Um, nice. I love that series, and there's there's a lot that I just that, that kind of sticks with me about that series, and, and I've always kind of wanted to do something um, that pays homage to to my love for it but in in kind of a, a different way and in a way that's you know aligned with my sensibilities and, and the things that i really love um you know in addition to star trek and so uh, this this is kind of a web comic thing that i'm you know sort of planning and, and that i've actually been actively writing um as as an homage to not only star trek but also the other types of things that i love um much more kind of lighthearted and fun while still posing certain questions uh it's 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 maybe lighthearted nihilism is the best way to to describe it. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, um, but I, I'm I'm really enjoying putting it together, uh, and it's it's one of those things that I I have no idea what my timetable is on this. I've just kind of been working on it, scripting it, fleshing out characters, doing some plotting uh, as sort of a, a break from um, exploring the deep emotional uh, seeds within my subconscious from my teenage years. Um, 
so it's, yeah, it's, it's nice a good to get a, a balance of uh heavy and light i pretty much go light for that very reason because <laughs> it's I, it's hard for me to handle that stuff i i, I feel like I, I always have to have that balance there um there there is almost always an agenda to the things that i write whether it be a petty agenda or you know i or a significant one um beehive is is very very much my way of airing out my grievances and dirty laundry with the environment in which i grew up uh whereas this is just me pushing the agenda of space is fucking cool right <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, something that I look forward to more of, hopefully in the future, not just from you, but other creators exploring lots of different genres and yep. themes, uh, because it's it's very common for actors and for directors and people in other storytelling mediums to be like, well, you don't expect them to only do this genre mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like They, they want to do lots of stuff. They want to tell all sorts of stories, uh, but for... It does seem like in comics a bit you do get shoehorned where you're like, oh, I'm just the, I'm just the superhero person, exactly, oh, I'm just the YA person, and that and that's part of it too. Is like I'm working on Beehive and I'm like, okay, cool, like you know, th- I, this thing is really like there's a lot of me in it, but at, at the same time, when Beehive comes out, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just be like, oh, he's a small town crime guy, you know, or or vice versa yeah. one of these other two comics that i'm working on i don't want to just be like a you know sci-fi comedy guy um and so it's hard because it's it's also branding wise not the most consistent uh, yeah then, and it kind of creates a branding issue but at the same time there's a sanity issue that mm-hmm. needs to be addressed that it's like i've i want to tell a super dark and twisted story and then i also want a popcorn story that's yeah it's okay and i, I ex- exactly like the it's it's and I think more like, I mean, it can play to your advantage to be like, hey, like, look, I can do something as as granular as a small town crime story from the perspective of a teenager. And I can also do something as vast as a giant, like sprawling, you know, comedic sci fi epic, uh, you know, that will make you laugh as much as make you cry, hopefully. Um, you know, and so I think that being able to show that range early on is good in a way. You know, sure, like branding, you know, it might be a little bit harder to, you know, book, you know, fucking licensed jobs or whatever the hell uh, because it's harder to pin you down. But at the same time, I think it's it's a lot easier to be like, look, I can I can you work in whatever genre you need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Oh, we'll you want to do this thing? I'm ready to go. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that pans out for me. Uh, who knows if I'm if I'm destitute in two years, I guess you'll find out. But uh, regardless, uh, I'll let you all be the judges when these comics are uh, released. Today, we are talking about uh, something very much centered on creator rights. Um, There's a long history with both Marvel and DC Comics uh, of... Uh, creators being fairly disgruntled with the, uh, the the sort of deal and treatment uh, that they received at the hands of Marvel um, or DC, and and kind of you know where ownership lies on on the creations of of any people. Um, and Steve Gerber, I think, is one of the. I, I think Steve Gerber may be the perfect distillation of the best and worst of uh, what the comics industry has to offer. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> This is going to be awesome. Uh, for those who don't know, Steve Gerber is the creator of Howard the Duck, 
Um, he also created other things uh, for Marvel and even stuff for DC and other people. Um, he's also known as you know the creator of uh, Man Thing, um, the creator of Omega the Unknown. Oh, what? Yeah, that. yeah, uh, and the Defenders and um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the dude did a lot. A lot of casual drops there that are big. Yeah, when he nice. so and, and I, right. I should clarify on Guardians of the Galaxy. He was not the creator of the Guardians, um, but he was one of the creators that, uh, you know, influenced um, a lot of what we understand to be the Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, he, you know, his sort uh, of okay. foundation. That he was, was like a there. second or third creator that came in and really, really took it to the next level. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Man-Thing and, and Howard the Duck are kind of his two main creations. And uh, Gerber was known, you know, and, and one of the biggest appeals of... of um, Howard the Duck and Man thing was that he would create these characters that were kind of um, satires, you know, sort of commentary on society. Um, you know, this these these characters that he would kind of use as vehicles to to talk about what was uh, bothering him or what was you know sort of on his mind at the time. Um, and so Howard the Duck, he he wrote uh, and created with uh, artist Val Mayerick. Um, was kind of a, a the comic was sort of used as a satire of the comics industry at the time, um, as well as pop culture and society in general. Uh, you know, it was it was frequently sort of laden with you know uses of parody, and it was a very like heavy metafictional kind of book um, with a super kind of like existentialist tone. Um, Okay, uh, b- before we get too deep into it, uh, I, w- I want to interrupt and say, so describe Howard the Duck visually. Like, what what's this guy look like? <laughs> uh, I mean, he basically looks like Donald Duck. Uh, he is a duck that wears like a, a suit jacket and tie. Um, no pants. Uh, you may recognize him from the very end of Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie. Uh he, wasn't he in the second one too or am i am i think I th- he was just in the first but it's very it's it's certainly possible that he was in the second um oh yes he was in the second you're right so both guardians of the galaxy movies i should that should give a lot of people some context yeah exactly and doesn't he have a, like a little uh fedora or something um i th- think I... so i think you are correct yeah a tiny little hat um that he'll uh yes he does have a hat uh he's i mean he's basically just a duck that that is you know, a, a, an anthropomorphic duck that's trapped in a world of, of humans. Also, it's uh, worth mentioning that he got his own movie. That was a terrible movie. Do not watch <laughs> it. was it. not a great movie. But anyway, so Howard the Duck is originally created in 73 by Gerber. Again, as, as kind of a mouthpiece to talk about sort of the issues that were concerning him. Um, very quickly, Howard the Duck gains like a, a pretty large following. You know, he's kind of this sort of... Uh, iconic character with kind of like the hippie culture and and like college age kids at the time um very similar to how rick and morty is today i think is the closest example where it's like this is a thing that's very kind of nihilistic and has a lot of like you know meta elements to it where it's commenting on the story being created itself and the industry in which the story is being created through characters that kind of see through the mirage of whatever sort of society they're surrounded in kind of like deadpool like a little bit just the fourth fourth wall breaking a little bit like deadpool although i don't i don't think howard the duck ever necessarily completely broke the fourth wall it was more just that like he was never talking directly to the audience he was just often saying things that the audience would recognize as being uh more maybe relevant to 
things outside the comic than within the comic itself. Gotcha. Okay, that's that's uh I mean, I can see the distinct difference there. Yeah. And so from from 73 to 76, he gets this huge following and in 76, while the presidential election is going on, uh Gerber has Howard in the pages of the book run for president. And what's funny is that uh it was so impactful and Howard was so big at the time that thousands of real life votes for the 76 presidential election had written in Howard the Duck. It became like this big thing where like actually like a large number of people voted for Howard the Duck as the real president of the United States. That's mind boggling. It's crazy. And so, you know, he's he's kind of risen to like this huge status um, and this, you know, sort of the head of this counterculture movement in comics. Um, but then by two years later in 1978, uh, Steve Gerber is actually fired from the uh, Howard the Duck comics uh, for frequent tardiness. Um Gerber was... Oh, I was about to blame Marvel. I was like, oh, classic Marvel. I mean... Classic DC, ooh. <clears throat> it's it's kind of both. Back. I mean, the, the biggest thing, like, the, the, the flaw that Steve Gerber had, the thing that uh, he was not great at was uh, meeting deadlines. This is a, a consistent thing over Gerber's career, is that deadlines were not his friend. Um, and so Jim Shooter, who was the editor at the time of Marvel, uh, kind of pushed Steve Gerber out, and it left a really sour feeling uh with gerber and with some other people you know it was not a very amicable situation um especially from a character that he created you know it does feel very odd to be told you can no longer write the character that you created um and so it's the the hazard of working for this company they can do whatever (laughs) exactly the the work for hire thing and that's and that's kind of what comes out here so within the next two years um marvel and their parent company at the time cadence industries uh, start to license Howard the Duck for film and TV and all this other stuff. And that kind of pisses Steve Gerber off, you know. He's seeing this thing that he created and, and you know, did so much work on uh, that is kind of generating, you know, a lot of interest and a lot of money, and, and he's not really seeing any of that. Um, and so he sues uh, Cadence Industries and, and Marvel, um, alleging that he is the sole owner of Howard the Duck. Um Hmm. And while this is going on, I mean, obviously, we don't know the, the the legal paperwork stuff, but that's that's an interesting. I've never, I don't. This is a topic for another time, I guess. But like, I'm sure, I'm under, I'm, what are the grounds? I mean, you you wrote in the contract. I assume that all work I do is owned by Marvel. Yeah, and so a big a big problem at the time, and this is what kind of brought up a lot of these um, issues of you know creator rights and stuff like that, is that a lot of this stuff wasn't necessarily outlined in a very um reliable way uh there i mean there were times where basically Uh. just signing the check signing the paycheck was uh was grounds enough to be like all right you gave up all rights to uh to this character um (laughs) yeah and so things things were not at the time as well outlined as they are today um and ah okay i was like this seems (laughs) pretty straightforward oh Okay, that's not straightforward at all. That's as crooked as a line as you can exactly. get. That's really totally. weird. And, it, and it's what led to, and especially because there was also no agreement for like residuals, you know, and, and this is what spurned a lot of these things is like, you know, you, you had a time where Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster were like, Siegel was, I think, exactly. working as a like a mail clerk or something. Uh, and Schuster oh, yeah. was like, you know, almost destitute. Um, and meanwhile, Superman is raking in millions of dollars at the box office. Uh you know, it's one of those things that they just, it was not set up 
in a way that was at all conducive to the people who did the work. It was like, we'll pay you while you're working on the character. And then as soon as we decide you're done, you will never see another penny for, from us. Um, regardless of what we use your creations for or how much. Uh, and so, you know, there was like, there was no retirement plan in comics. There was no, you know, there was no way for anybody to live past their career uh, at the time. And, and so that this is one of the many sort of lawsuits and issues that led to kind of a restructuring of um, of some of the comics payouts, which is still kind of a work in progress. Um, but yeah, so at the time, and this was kind of a, a crazy claim, is that, you know, Gerber did allege that he was the sole owner of Howard the Duck. Um, and while he's suing Marvel, uh, he comes up with a way to at least help pay for some of those legal fees. Um, and so he and comics legend Jack Kirby uh, team up to create a... Who? Yeah, you know Jack Kirby. He's, he's a guy who used to draw comics. Um, hmm. Never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, they, they team up to create a comic called Destroyer Duck, uh, published through Eclipse Comics. Um, this is another sort of satire comic. Uh, Destroyer Duck is kind of this very military influence, like, you know, hard-boiled type of character. Um, and the, the goal in creating this comics for Gerber and Kirby was, uh, to basically help just pay for the lawsuit, uh, against Marvel. And so, wow. Yeah. And, and Destroyer Duck, it, it is honestly, I, I heavily recommend tracking down the issue, uh, wherever you can, um, whether it's digital or in print, uh, cause it's a fun issue to read. And, and again, it's still, you know, it's kind of later in Kirby's career, but it's, I think still very, very, uh, prime Kirby. Um, but they over the, that's so, I mean, you got to team up with Jack Kirby. That is so cool. It's super cool. And like, <sighs> you can even just look at like the covers and stuff like that. Like destroyer duck was actually pretty awesome, especially just seeing Kirby draw like this militarized duck. It's such a, a unique thing. Um, but so they, they create, uh, they create destroyer duck. And I think the total run of issues on destroyer duck, uh, was like seven issues, but that was over the course of like, I think like 10 years um wow yeah and so okay. they released the first issue in uh in may of 82 um they released the second issue in january of 83 um you know and then a couple more in 83 later in the year uh another one in in march of 84 and then the final issue of destroyer duck um okay so it wasn't 10 years it was like four years um the final issue of destroyer duck number okay, seven well, that's a big difference yeah it is a big difference but Basically, they were averaging like one or two issues a year. Um, but the final issue, number seven, was released in uh, May of 84. Um, with uh, Featuring, actually, funny enough, a cover by Frank Miller. Jeez. Which was, right. yeah, super fun. Right. Um, and so, anyway, Destroyer Duck, you know, they released that. And it's kind of this cool thing, um, you know, and it's a fully creator-owned character. So, uh, the rights to Destroyer Duck uh, rest with, with um, Gerber. And I think Kirby had partial ownership as well. Um, but anyway, uh, within that first year of Destroyer Duck, uh, the lawsuit ends up getting settled. And that's, I think, part of the reason why the, you know, the comic wasn't pushed out with urgency after that. Um, because they settled the lawsuit with Marvel and Gerber. That makes sense. Gerber basically acknowledges that his work on Howard was done as work for hire. Um, and that Marvel owns the character uh. in perpetuity. Um. So he loses that battle. So he lost that battle, yeah. Uh, and so after the lawsuit is settled, um, Gerber kind of, you know, there was a little break, but he, he eventually goes back to doing periodical sort of work for Marvel um, on a bunch of different stuff. He does like some Avengers things and 
Uh, he revisits Howard the Duck every once in a while. Um, you know, like he'll do an issue here and there. It's gonna be weird. Totally weird. Working with a, a company that you you just sued. Yeah, I mean, for both sides, you just sued both and the editors you and, and like they the own your character and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of this weird thing. Hmm. Does that lead to anything? It does. It does lead to something. Uh, so for the next fourteen years, uh, Gerber continues to work in comics as well as animation. Actually, he did a lot of animation work in this time. Um, uh, but you know, there's every once in a while an issue of Destroyer Duck comes out. Every once in a while, something comes out that he does with uh, Howard the Duck featured in it. Um, and then uh, during this time, seven seven young whippersnappers from Marvel, seven artists, decide to go form their own uh, company called image comics and the focus of image comics is to uh uh you know create a very creator friendly environment and they were very much inspired and uh fueled by the experiences of people like gerber and kirby and ditko and other people like that um and so they create image comics in 94 uh featuring characters like savage dragon young blood spawn uh wildcats you know Shadowhawk, all these people cyber force um and Eric Larson, the creator of Savage Dragon, uh, reaches out to Gerber and says, Hey, how would you like to uh, bring back Destroyer Duck and, and do like a Savage Dragon Destroyer Duck crossover? I'm in. Gerber goes, You know what? That'd be fun. Yeah, let's do it. So this is in 96. This is 14 years after the lawsuit settled. Uh, around the same time, uh, there's a, a new editor over at uh, Marvel Comics. And, and honestly, I'm, it's slipping my mind uh, who the editor is um at the time i know it might have been shooter again trying to mend bridges it might have been somebody else anyway marvel reaches out uh to gerber right around the same time that eric larson reaches out says hey you know we know there's been a lot of he's hot right now yeah like we we know there's been like a lot of bad blood between us and i don't even think they knew about the destroyer duck thing yet um or at least about him coming back with savage dragon um they're like you know there's been a lot of bad blood how about we do like you know some sort of uh you know special thing or whatever where you get to write howard again um you know we've got this spider-man team-up book uh how would you like to come on and write an issue of spider-man team-up with howard the duck uh and so gerber goes yeah yeah i you know i I think i'll do that um and so simultaneously he is uh writing both an issue of savage dragon and destroyer duck as well as an issue of howard the duck and spider-man these issues uh, end up coming out like two weeks apart, I believe, or maybe one week apart. Um, and basically what happens is in both issues, the main characters uh, of, in one issue, Spider-Man and Howard the Duck, and in the other issue of Savage Dragon and Destroyer Duck, uh, they end up going to this uh, this giant warehouse in Cleveland. And there's this enormous fight in this warehouse. Um, the Steve Gerber villain, uh, Elf with a Gun, the character that Steve Gerber created um, is is there doing something? There's some kind of like disc uh, that uh, Spider-Man's trying to track down, um, and uh, during this kerfuffle, so in both issues, in in the Marvel issue and in the Image issue, uh, you see the other characters. So in Savage Dragon Destroyer Duck, you can see Spider-Man and Howard the Duck um, and his uh, girlfriend. I always forget her name. Um, but you see them there. It's just in the image issue, Spider-Man's a silhouette. So you can't really make out that it's Spider-Man, but you can definitely tell it's Spider-Man. Same with like Howard the Duck, um, as well as, um, shoot, whatever the heck her name is. Um, Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane? Who we're talking no, about? Uh, Howard the Duck's girlfriend. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, 
whatever whatever her name is it's going to come to me in a second anyway um but you can see the the other company's characters in both comics they're just graffitied out so you're in the spider-man issue and you see the giant hulking uh figure of savage dragon with the fin on his head and everything um you just it's not fully made out and even to the point where those silhouetted characters are saying the same dialogue that they said in the other issue um, oh my god that's amazing it's crazy so there's this crossover and it's marvel never approved any kind of crossover um but basically what what happens is that uh howard the duck so in in the like the kerfuffle happens you know the fight happens spider-man gets the disc and he and howard the duck leave with uh howard's girlfriend beverly you know and then uh savage dragon and destroyer duck kind of go their separate ways as well um but you don't really see savage dragon and uh destroyer duck leave in the spider-man comic you just see spider-man and howard the duck leave but in the destroyer duck issue you see that elf with a gun the entire time was releasing and cloning howard the duck and beverly over and over and over again so there's this huge army of howard the ducks all over the place and essentially what ends up happening is that in the marvel issue spider-man ends up leaving with a clone of howard the duck and um and beverly and then in the destroyer duck issue it shows what happened it shows the cloning uh and it shows destroyer duck grabbing howard uh and beverly um and saying something to the effect of i got the real ones let's get out of here and then savage dragon's like well shouldn't we uh take them back to their friends over there um and destroyer duck responds they have no friends over there uh something let's see Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at the page right now. He says, uh, they haven't got any friends over there. They're coming with us. Anyhow, one of the clones ran out that way. They'll never know the difference. So basically, what what Gerber does there is he, you know, he, he steals the real Howard the Duck and the real Beverly from the Marvel Universe, takes them into the Image Comics Universe, and then what happens afterward is uh, Destroyer Duck helps uh, Howard and Beverly go into Witness Protection, Howard dyes his feathers green and changes his name to Leonard, uh, and they go off to to live uh, in peace in the Image Comics universe. Wow! <laughs> so it's a it's a clone of Howard the Duck. That's Howard the Duck in the in the Marvel universe, according to this uh, Destroyer Duck issue. Exactly. So according to Steve Steve Gerber and and this Destroyer the Duck Savage Dragon crossover, uh, the real Howard the Duck is living somewhere in the image comics universe or somewhere in the world as leonard the duck um and the howard that has been in marvel comics ever since and in the movies and everything uh has just been a a hollow empty clone of the real thing wow uh that's that is crazy yeah uh it's such a it's like a normally i don't thing. approve of this yeah this is exactly i normally i'm like i, I don't really care about these little things whatever but it's the creator yeah. of the of the character doing it so it kind of uh it's not like some if it were anybody else honestly it, it wouldn't hold any weight for me uh <laughs> or not as much weight but since it's the creator of it and the way it sounded like he pulled it off pretty well because i think we'd be uh, did he get sued afterwards by marvel nope not at all because that's the thing is like they kept it if, and he probably pulled it off yeah if you if you look up both issues uh you know it's like Everything in the issues is non-litigious. Um, I don't think they ever even call exactly. him Howard in the Destroyer Duck issue. Uh, they just show that he's changing his name to Leonard. Um, and he moves, like, to Buffalo. Uh, but it's like, you know, in, in the image book, 
There is no, like, Spider-Man says Spider-Sense. He says his Spider-Sense is tingling in that book. Uh, but you don't actually really see him. Uh, you just see, like, a shot of his gloves, and then the rest of it, whenever he is shown, is just him in silhouette. Well, he obviously knew what he was doing, because they couldn't come back uh couldn't come back at him exactly so um how stoked were the editors to find out uh this happened oh they were very mad they were very mad um it would be another seven years i think after this uh until gerber would do another uh anything with marvel um <laughs> that's a crazy yeah they uh, and he still went back that's that's interesting and they still said yes yeah he still wow. he still went back they still said yes um he did like some image stuff in the meantime he also did um a vertigo series called nevada where actually leonard the duck um popped up very briefly uh in one panel just to show that he was still out there um and then that's cool yeah and then back let's see in uh in 2002 yep in 2002 he did a howard the duck max series uh, which is, you know, Marvel's sort of adult lineup of, of comics. Um, and that would end up being his final say on the character, uh, would be Howard the Duck, or would be Howard the Duck Max. Um, and then uh, in 2008, he would uh, uh, pass away. Um, but at the very least, he, he was able to uh, take his creations back and see them, see them uh, to live off in their happy lives in Buffalo. <laughs> That was, a, that was a good ending there. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that kind of like blows the mind what uh, what a creator can do with his work, even if he's not allowed to. Absolutely. Um, and it's such a it's such a dist- like a it, distillation yeah. of of what Image Comics was and still is. Uh, just kind of like this. Hey, whatever you want to do, whatever grievances you want to air, whatever like thing that you're really inspired by or want to, you know, are feeling the compulsion for, uh, come over here and we'll do it. I, I'm. I think we're both of the same mind that we definitely approve of working for the the big two. Mm-hmm. But I think this this story is a gr- um, has a lot of lessons. But one of them is definitely understand fully the relationship you're getting in before you get into it. Absolutely. Uh, and if you're not comfortable with those terms, that's totally fine. If you are, awesome. If you're not, that's okay too. You got creator owned. You can do your own stuff then. And there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, there's Image Comics, and there's other options out there as well. But I feel like, man, I really wish that he'd created Howard the Duck as a creator-owned character, because I, th- I feel like it would have been super fun. But would it have blown up the way it did with it not being associated with Marvel? Yeah, well, at the you time, it's like, you know, in 1973, I mean, there just there weren't creator-owned characters, really. No, exactly. It wasn't the 90s were the, the 80s and 90s were the big turn for that. Totally. But yeah, and, and all that all that to say, I mean, it's you know, it's it's just a fun tale of a creator doing something weird, uh, which is like you know, it's like very. I think a lot of people would perceive it as petty, um, but it's still so weird bit. and strange that I just love it. Uh, Absolutely, it is very very. It's like an adorable little tale that he totally gets away with. Yeah. Without like, if you only read the Marvel stuff, you would never know. Totally. So it's totally fine. But if you did read that, it's kind of a, a nice little, uh, a, put a little twist on it, a little English on that uh, return serve. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, if anyone, if anyone out there, um, or a big recommendation I would have is A, to track down Gerber's, uh, all of Gerber's Howard the Duck stuff, but um, also track down the Destroyer Duck 7-issue series and uh, the Savage Dragon Destroyer Duck crossover, because 
they're all very amusing and also actually the spider-man team up number five issue because it, it it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like man like they go to such great lengths to avoid anything that would be outright litigious uh but like they're right on that edge of like maybe somebody could sue us for this <laughs> it's so good i i love it i love the the gall to try and pull something like that off and and actually doing it because i'm sure how many people have talked about doing something crazy like that and then i feel like this is like the bank job that went right yeah exactly it's it's a it's like a it's a weird and petty heist and it's wonderful was story time kent that was that was a lot wasn't it Whew, you don't know how to stop talking <laughs> i've heard that before kent ask every <laughs> single one of my ex-girlfriends um <laughs> i'm kidding wait am i um i don't know if i'm kidding actually anyway uh this it. week we as every week we like to recommend uh various learning resources and i've got yep. i've got one for you coming hot off the presses kent what do you got i've got framed ink it is a book that is geared toward uh storyboard artists specifically but but also very much a reference tool for um comic book artists uh it is a masterwork in how to how to evoke emotion, how to sort of frame your shots, working with, you know, a little bit on working with perspective, although the same author has uh, multiple books on perspective as well. Um, But it is honestly just, I think, a masterclass in how to create interesting framing, even for very um, dull scenes, and also what different types of framing can, can say, you know, and what it can evoke in a reader. It's a wonderful book. I mean, at the very least, it's just really pretty to look at (laughs) uh the guy who put this together is uh, he's just a very talented artist is really you know all there is to it um i i absolutely love this book it was recommended to me a couple years ago by um a storyboard artist friend of mine who basically said like look this is the handbook uh for for storyboard artists and and a lot of what's in here is you know totally like relevant to graphic novels and this guy also has illustrated and written um graphic novels before so it's definitely very relevant through it dear god this is a good looking book oh man it's gorgeous it's really gorgeous like there he has this really great noir aesthetic to a lot of things but he's also uh able to stretch that to a lot of different things that's insane Um, uh who's uh you read the name because i'm gonna butcher it yeah his name is uh Marcos Mateu uh, Mist. I I really like yep. that's one I reason why I've still avoided saying the worse. Names. I don't know how to say it. Uh, that's rare. I try to be you good with do. names, but it's not. You're it's... very good with names usually. That was not good. <laughs> yeah, not not great. Um, but it's it's called Framed Ink: Drawing and Composition for Storytell for Visual Storytellers. Um, he also has a couple of companions called uh, Frank or sorry, Framed Perspective, uh, volumes one and two. Um, but this this book is I, crazy helpful. I really could not recommend it highly enough for anybody who wants to draw or even uh, is learning to draw comics. This um, really is one of the prettiest books I've seen in a long time. This guy's art is breathtaking. And yeah, I feel like I'm just flipping through an art book. And it's, oh, there's lessons too? Yeah. Like, it's crazy. No, it's it's wow. so damn pretty. Um, and he's he's just super insightful. Like, I really, again, can't recommend this book highly enough. Um, it's helped me a lot as I've been 
teaching myself and learning from various resources uh how to how to draw so i yeah again highly recommend um anyway awesome. uh with with this episode uh being in the books let's uh let's go ahead and and get it off we'd first like to thank amy chu for talking to us and answering all of kent's questions thank you amy thanks amy and we'd also like to thank sean rosner for doing the music throughout the, our show you can uh, check out his instagram at rosner.art.music and his album burn away defy the night hell yeah thank you very much sean and we'd also like to thank our patrons uh, our very first patron melody mew thank you very much for supporting the show and if you would like to join melody and be a supporter of this show head over to patreon.com slash tmbc workshop check out all the benefits there for you uh and uh I mean, really, at this point, the only thing left to do, Kent, is to hear why Amy Chu loves comics. And also follow us on social media at KentHeidelman.com. Oh, that's Ken true. That's <laughs> it's true. Not but it's we, I jumped Ken the gun, Kent. I jumped you the jumped gun. You jumped the gun. We both jumped guns. Uh, follow us on social media, every single platform, at TMBC Workshop. Uh, Instagram and yeah. Twitter are our favorites, where we share all sorts of tips on drawing, writing, all that stuff. Yep. Go, go follow us on those stuff. And then, uh, yeah, now... Amy, why do you love comics? Oh my god, that's so broad. I yeah. love I love comics because it affects people. I think the I would not be writing comics if I think one of my first stories somebody came up to me and they were crying. And I'm like, I can actually write something that makes someone cry. That's crazy. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>